Brought to you by Make Fun Network. Disclaimer. Please do not email us about the historical inaccuracies we are sure to make. We are not historians. We are idiots. Anachronismo. I'm Max. I'm Jackie. I'm Noel. And this is the historical comedy podcast where we bring in weird stories uh, and make jokes about them. I have a little bit of an anecdote for why I picked the uh, historical figure that I picked, and it did not pan out well at all as I read more and more about this person. Why is that, Noel? Well, so I originally picked the person because their name is Batman. John Batman. Oh I see, I see. And I heard it was apparently one of the original founders of uh, Melbourne in mm. Australia. I wanted him to be the hero that Australia needed. He was neither the hero that Australia needed or deserved. So <laughs> we're oh, sounds like we're in for a ride. Yep. Ooh. I will try to keep it light, but yeah, there's a lot of unpleasantries that mm. he uh, that he did while there. Yeah, the history of Australia is pretty fraught with atrocity. Yeah, it's nothing that was uncommon or out of place for the time, but mm. it's just it's ugly. Yeah. Well, I'm going to be talking about a controversial figure in the history of dentistry, one Edgar R. R. or Painless. Parker. Take out human teeth, you put in dog teeth. <laughs> uh, that's not why he was controversial. That's why he was beloved. That's why he's beloved. Everyone loved having their new dog teeth that they could use to bite through steak almost instantly, really. <laughs> big, big points in his favor. I'm looking forward to my dog teeth. <laughs> I think we all are, Jackie. We're all looking forward to you having dog teeth. <laughs> and your new smile. <laughs> oh. <laughs> He was controversial. He traveled around doing dentistry work in a unique way, and I think you're going to enjoy hearing about it. But that'll come along later. I will give one fun little tidbit, is that he had a necklace of human teeth. I already like him. Yeah, he's great. (laughs) So take us away to this terrible Batman. So I guess this will be a a little bit of spoilers to the end of the story, but it is the reason that I picked reading about John Batman to begin with. He was one of the founding uh, explorers that found the territory that is today Melbourne, Australia. Mm -hmm. But originally, he wanted to call it Batmania. (laughs) I love it. Oh, my God. But the question on all of our minds is, is there any relation to the more famous Batman? That's not the question on my mind. I, my mom, the question on my mind was, would the people who lived there be residents of Batmania? Batmaniacs. Batmaniacs, yes. See, that would have been great, but I... Batmanians? The Batmania yeah. name did not stick around. I like Batmaniacs. It makes them sound like they're professional wrestling fans. <laughs> no, let us let us live in this world for just a second, because apparently it's going to get dark. I also want to say they're Batmaniacs, and they're all in Batman's rogues gallery. <laughs> they all believe they're bats, because they live there. <laughs> And so they're legally indoctrinated by the state schooling system to believe themselves to be bats. All the buildings are just caves. Everyone has to sleep upside down, mm-hmm. hanging from their feet. You get used mm. to the ankle shackles. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you get used to it. Mm-hmm. You never like it, but you get used to it. Yeah. Yeah. And after several generations of living in caves, they all go blind and just yell at each other and uh, develop supersonic hearing. That's right. Sounds like a good society to me. If only, if only. But sad to say... 
Batmania and Batmaniacs were not to be. Mm. Uh, the city today is Melbourne. So was Tasmania just some guy named Tasman? Mm-hmm. Yes. Really? I don't know. But I choose to believe that it is. All right. It is from now on. Yeah. It, you know, it didn't come up in reading this, even though John Batman has a history in Tasmania, which is where he really did some terrible things. He killed the Tasmanian devil. I would put him more akin to being the Tasmanian devil and that he just spun, spun around a lot. <laughs> and just would eat a giant planks of wood whole and just snap <laughs> into him. When I first read about John Batman's early life... Is he an orphan? No, he was not an orphan. Nor were his parents murdered outside of Gotham Theater. So those two... You have boxes. a butler? Was he rich? He was rich. And he had so, a butler, so probably... Close enough. Yeah. Close enough for I'm, me. I'm calling it. He was rich. I've never um, seen him and Batman in the same room. You've never seen John Batman and Batman in the same room? That's right. Okay. So yes, some of the things that John Batman has in common with the comic book Batman lived in crime-ridden Australian colonies. Mm-hmm. Just like the real Batman. Just like the real Batman. Yeah. 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 Close enough. Yeah. Became super wealthy, uh, mostly through estate and being a uh, uh, being a shepherd. Not a shepherd. Is that, like is a, that grazier, a money making? A grazier. A grazier. Yeah, so he just supplied a lot of meat to the colonies. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, just like Batman supplies a lot of meat to Arkham Asylum. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Human meat. For eating. Yeah. And uh, where I really actually thought that this story was going to go full Batman and it was just going to keep going from here, he became famous in 1826 because, like a true vigilante, he captured some uh, bushrangers. These were kind of just lawless, like wild men out in Australia, one of whom was a notorious cannibal. And the other who was his compatriot, his undevoured compatriot. So he captured two of them, like a crime fighter. He got land grants based off of that. So I was like, yes, this guy is, he's Batman. He's 19th century Australian Batman. I feel like the guy who provides human meat for the colonies shouldn't be... um, Shouldn't be throwing stones. No, no, that's regular Batman. People who live in meat houses shouldn't throw A1 sauce. Sorry, John John Batman provided... uh, Human meat. Animal meat. Yeah, humans. Humans are animals. Oh. Do you mean sheep meat? Yeah. Okay, we'll say sheep meat. That's very confusing. Okay. Okay, Okay, well, (laughs) you didn't clarify that to begin with. That's not our fault. We made a reasonable series of assumptions. Well, you know, I also did mention cannibal bushrangers, too. Yeah, so. yeah you put, put that idea in our head pretty pretty firmly. Not that it wasn't already there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was just getting rid of his competition. That's not really yeah. admirable or heroic. I know, I know. He doesn't, he's not a good guy. I just, at first I read those lines that he had captured those bushrangers, and I was like, okay, not a cannibal, might be a superhero. No, uh, from all accounts, although a controversial figure, John Batman was never accused of being a cannibal or having a human meat supply chain to the colonies. So. Well, a lot of people didn't accuse for a lot of things in those days. What's that? What? Wait. <laughs> no, practically speaking, what did you just say? Just, no, don't worry about it. <laughs> a lot of people were not accused of a lot of things in those days. That's what I yep. said. All right. <laughs> Um, Go on, Noel. We haven't let you say any of your story. Yeah. Well, Get to the uh, fucking that, story, Noel. Uh, no, so this was an interesting part of when I started to look into Batman more and more because I wanted to get multiple sources of information on this mysterious hooded character. And he didn't have a hood that we know of. Nobody accused him of it. Therefore, he must have had a hood and a little cowl and cape that he ran around with. 
I'm glad you're on board. I am. I am totally on board. Um, but yeah, it was interesting that you know Australia has had uh, like very just awful history between the relations of the uh, the colonists, like even up to modern days, and the Aboriginal people. Yeah, with the Aboriginal people who live there, and uh, John Batman was no exception. But it was interesting, and one of the sources I read about him that had was from a uh, .au website. They sort of skipped over all the terrible things he did in Tasmania, um, and they quoted him as, by persevering leadership in the first conciliation campaign amongst the Tasmanian aboriginals. That sounds like a euphemism. Conciliation campaign? Yeah. So, from the uh, Wikipedia that I read, the Tasmanian colonial governor, George Arthur, observed Batman had much slaughter to account for. Yeah. Was that said admir- in admiration or admonishment? Um, I could not get the context of that, but probably... Uh... Admironishment. Mm-hmm. Admironishment. Mm. Did you just come up with that? Yeah, it's off the dome. That's definitely a feeling. Yeah. 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 That's a good one. Thank you. I'm petitioning the Oxford English Dictionary later this year to include... Every neologism I've made up in anachronismo. May I offer a suggestion? Uh, of course. Review the list. Pick some of your favorites, because you're not going to get them all in. Well, if I submit a lot, they'll, they'll reject a few, but they won't reject all of them. That's, I don't think that's true. But, you know, you miss every shot you don't take. Yeah, but you can, you can if you take time to aim, you can get in some. Wait, what? What? <laughs> <laughs> Just kind of drop back. I stopped paying attention for a moment. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Yes. Okay. But if you aim, you can get in some of them. Which one yeah. of us is right, Noel? <laughs> well, it sounds like it's a two-parter. <laughs> Except the second part of it implies that the first, the person taking 100% of the shots is not trying to aim at all. <laughs> it's just kind of winging everything <laughs> as works, fast as It works possible. for the situation we were talking about. What were you uh, talking about? Oh, uh, Killing and skinning me? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so your story... <laughs> um, so yeah, more specifically, the uh, conciliation campaign was more uh, accurately described as John Batman leading raids on Aboriginal people at night and just shooting at them, um, taking some of them as some children as slaves, and also uh, being part of the Black Line in 1830, which was essentially just a long human chain of armed colonists spread across a large portion of Tasmania to sort of drive the aboriginals out of that land. Hmm. So yeah, this is where I started thinking, this guy is kind of a really, really just bad villain who got uh, rewarded for his stuff with land and... Had a cool name. Had a cool name. Yeah, it was not a great guy. Mm. It's like how you flush pheasants out of the woods. Yeah, it's really, it was disturbing to read about. Let's not dwell. Keep yeah. going. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, that's fucking terrible. Uh, we shouldn't gloss over the fact that, you know, it's terrible people doing terrible things to people who uh, lived on the land for generations. But at the same time, uh, this is a comedy podcast. We can, we can not, we, we're, we can respect it by not making jokes about that. Yeah. The only thing that they could say for, uh, for Batman. Bat- I, keep, I, I don't know whether I should just keep calling him John Batman. It feels weird just for referring to him as Batman. <laughs> That's, keep going with Batman. It's your call to make, Noel. He, uh, the only thing that can be said for him is he was the only Australian or European to try to actually 
make a treaty with Aboriginal people for exchange of land rather than just these sort of brutal tactics. Oh, okay. So that that was actually how he. Well, it, he didn't. He didn't do. They weren't good. They contracts. weren't fair. There weren't fair treaties or trades. They were um, like, if you give us all your land, we will not shoot you. Ah. Uh? And it's all written on a bullet. Yeah, there is, was a section, Batman's Treaty, comprised of him. Uh, sorry. <laughs> Jackie has just made a little miming gesture of unrolling a scroll from a bullet, reading it, and then rolling it back up and loading it into a gun. It wasn't a scroll. It was written on the outside of the bullet. Oh, I see. It was un- undoing the metal part. Oh, I see, I see. It took a lot of effort to write it on the bullet. Yeah, little engraving tools. Batman created Batman's Treaty to trade the land for Batmania from the Cullen peoples. And he did not give them very much. It's clear that they probably did not really understand the, the concept of what was being traded and probably took them more as gifts or sort of just truly like a peace treaty rather than giving up huge areas of land. But it was 40 blankets, 30 axes, 100 knives, 50 scissors, 30 mirrors, 200 handkerchiefs, 100 pounds of flour, and six shirts. And they lost a lot of land. And immediately, the Australian government, at this time, it would still be a colony. So the colonial governor said that it was invalid anyway, and that all Aboriginal land was property of Britain anyway. Oh. And that's, so that's they, fucked up. they were just, they nullified Batman's treaty. But Batman, super excited to have Batmania, had already gone back and had told people that he had acquired all this land and that there would be this new land to move into. So people had already started settling in that area, what would become Melbourne. So it's not clear what the colonial government was planning on doing with that territory or if for any reason they didn't want people to settle there. But apparently he at least attempted to do a peaceful settlement of that land and it did apparently seem to work i didn't read about any other battles in that area or any other sort of horrible crimes probably were that i missed over so yeah sorry that this was has been a bit of a bummer story but it started with me being like i'm gonna read about batman batmania oh my god capturing rogue outlaws oh this is batman and then it was like yep (sighs) sorry buddy that's okay. It's rough. I wish that this story hadn't been so uh, kind of depressing because when I was reading this and I really wanted to find another counter character to this Batman so I could make them the de facto Bane and try to read into it. Melbourne is your Batman. Bane melting? <laughs> it's very hot down here in the shouldn't have made all my clothes out of candle wax. (laughs) And then Bane could name his plot of land Bane Town. Bane Town, Bane Town. I was thinking Bania. Baniacs. (laughs) Melbourne is yours. Hello, hello, my Baniacs. We have raised ourselves an army, and we shall march upon Melbourne to take down John Batman. What will break first, Batman? Uh, your treaty or your back? It was the back. <laughs> oh, technically, it's a treaty that was nullified retroactively. Well, this is a this is a big day for Bane. <laughs> yeah, so you know we couldn't do that. <laughs> no, because yeah, Batman was a terrible person. He was the Bane figure. And... Yeah. So, but Governor Burke uh, was no Batman either. So yeah, there he... were no heroes. Yeah. So I guess yeah. 
you either die a hero or live long enough to be a terrible person but not really stand out that much against all the crimes that were being committed and were socially acceptable at the time. It doesn't make for as good and memorable as a quote, but much more accurate. If only he'd eaten himself to death after he catched that cannibal. Caught. Caught that cannibal. Yeah. <laughs> If only. If only he'd a roast. I can't wait to see if we have any Australian listeners who just come in and be like, yeah, you missed a lot of important things in context in this story. Well, our good friend Bebek is an Australian listener. Oh, Bebek, did he, I? Yeah, yeah. We, he's de- we've definitely left some stuff out. Uh, Bebek, please feel free to correct us. Uh, but do it in a fan fiction. Yeah, sorta. correct us in a fan fiction, please. And have um, Bane in that. And yeah, we, we're doing our best. doing our best we don't learn about this in our schools no 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 no. well if that's all (laughs) do we have any hypotheticals how would you have set a trap to catch the bush rangers the cannibal and his uneaten comrade you probably put out a vulnerable person and just wait for them to come that bush ranger doesn't want to be fed that bush ranger wants to hunt (laughs) you can't just stake someone out there (laughs) i would cover myself in steak sauce (laughs) <laughs> and would just be eaten to death by flies before you even got there. Oh, okay, so that is a flaw in my plan. So you're right. You're right. Oh, just, I would just carry the steak carry, sauce with you. I carry until uh, you can see the until I can see him. No, okay. Here's okay. Here's, oh no. Yeah, exactly. Here, here's what I do. I'm all at a sunblock. Oh, I better use this steak sauce. Ooh, I I tripped and I spilled all this steak sauce all over myself. Oh no! And then we start to run after me. Like, oh no! Don't chase me! And I start running. I start running. I jump at a point where it just seems like I'm jumping been out of scaredness he he runs over it that that jump that was a pit inside the pit barbecue he falls in the barbecue he gets partially cooked he smells so delicious to himself he can't help himself from eating i pour steak sauce on him on him he eats himself to death i don't know if you know how cannibalism works it's about eating people man he's a person cannibals are still people you're just nodding in agreement yeah <laughs> not wanting to get her audio of verbally being like yep that's right <laughs> jackie i need you to audi- audibly confirm that cannibals eat themselves because they like this the taste, the of, taste people. of people yeah that is right yeah. what is right jackie <laughs> specifically <Yeah. laughs> you, gotta, you gotta name it out we both laid out our i need right. i need a new ringtone jackie <laughs> um that is right that cannibals eat people Including themselves. Great. New ringtone. Got it. All right. How do you set that trap, Noel? I I feel like this is almost, I I would want to comically and way ahead of its time, set it up like a sort of a wily Coyote and Roadrunner kind of situation (laughs) where (laughs) I would get uh, really good like running shoes at the time. I would patent and make the first running shoes and sort of, you know, just run up to him and go, meep, meep, (laughs) run away from him towards like a towards like a mountain face that I've just painted a cave entrance on and I get far enough ahead of him and duck into like a like into a hole and then he just flat out runs right into the cave and he splats out like a like eagle shaped and then you know then you come and you peel him off the wall and you make a pancake yeah or or you know I would do one where like he uh like he traps me on a cliff edge but I like have a saw? Put poles. No, I put poles. And, no, because it's not a cartoon, man. I've gotta... <laughs> it's all practical effects. And uh, yeah, get, get trapped on the edge of a cliff and uh, erect uh, poles into the end of it that actually go into the mountain. So it's actually still like, you know, stabilized. And then have him with, uh, we'll say a saw, but more appropriate. Like he tries to just dynamite me off of it. You know, he tries to. 
uh, cut it off and then that stays stabilized to the mountain and the part that he cut off becomes unstable and he falls. Mm-hmm. But he stays like in the air long enough to hold up a little sign that says help and then he just falls down. I'm, I don't know. I don't know. Well, I actually, that's a good question. I don't and know. And then he drops steak sauce on him and he eats himself. I don't, I don't know <laughs> if he knows his letters, so he might not be able to write a quick sign as he's hanging in midair that says help. Well, you'd provide he's him. probably not literate. You'd provide him the sign. You should throw okay, it to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, it. I'd yeah. put a sign there. Yeah, yeah. And I'll tell him that that sign says help. <laughs> and that he's like thinking that it's my sign because he's got me cornered on a cliff edge. But when he saws through that cliff edge and he falls down, all he's going to have time to do in that five seconds before gravity kicks in is grab that sign that says help and hold it up. <laughs> like and it also turns sideways to not even be looking at me. Like if there were a camera there, yeah, at the edge yeah. of that cliff, like just hanging down, like on a dolly, he would be kind of like mugging for that camera before falling to his death. What about his companion? What about his companion? Did no, Wiley Coyote have a companion? No, he's alone. No, but this cannibal does. <laughs> this cannibal does. Oh shit. Yeah, well, I assume that they it. would like you know when I'm running around, his companion would have died earlier by trying to like putting two wagon spokes and wheels on his legs and like putting a big thing of dynamite on his back and lighting it and trying to catch up to me running. But, but he just explodes. Yeah, I would just turn sideways and he wouldn't have like the wagon yoke to actually make a turn. So he would just keep on going for about another couple hundred feet and then blow up. I thought you just have shot him with a gun. So violent. <laughs> so violent. So yeah, that's probably how I would do it. Very Looney Tunes like. Yeah, that sounds about right. So, hey, welcome to the break. This is where you recorded this at the end of the episode, but we're putting it in the middle. So if you like our show, we'd love to, you know, reach more people. Uh, so if you could leave us a review on iTunes or Podbean or Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts, uh, we'd really appreciate it. It really helps us reach peeps. Or if you want to contact us, we're on Twitter at, at Anac Podcast. That's at A-N-A-C Podcast. Uh, or you can email us at itsanachronismo at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook. And, of course, we're part of the Make, Make Fun Network, where you can find other great shows like Top 5 of Death, where the hosts bring in uh, f- a list of five cool things and then die. Uh, or on This Rules This Sucks, a podcast without nuance. Sorry, a review podcast without nuance. <laughs> Sets it apart from other podcasts without nuance. <laughs> and here we go. Back to the rest of our show. And if you ever need to reach Max, his number is 781. <laughs> <laughs> So speaking of wild characters, uh, speaking of like the ability of a cat to run into a hammer and have all of its teeth crack and fall off. Yeah. Speaking of Bugs Bunny dressing up like a lady bunny and seducing Elmer Fudd. You never saw that episode? No. It's It's many episodes. (laughs) It's a lot of episodes. No, I just thought that. Wait, no, because I thought that 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 the Tom and Jerry reference was of him like losing his teeth was a more relevant segue. But does oh yeah, no, that that does make more sense actually. I, I didn't I didn't put that two and two together. Um, seducing people. <laughs> speaking yeah, speaking of the thing you said <laughs> of Tom and Jerry and the the teeth falling out. <clears throat> My story is about one Edgar R. R. Parker, also known as Painless Parker, the most controversial figure in modern dentistry. So let me, let me get started. So before we had the the orderly, boring dentists of today, and, and I say that with a lot of love for my current dentist, the dental profession was dangerously unregulated. Anyone with a pair of forceps and enough upper body strength could call themselves a dentist. <laughs> 
Yeah. Ooh, that did not feel like that. Just made my stomach kind of turn. <laughs> yeah, I saw your face. Uh, so this all started to change in the mid 19th century when the practice of dental medicine became more codified, taught in school. People started training as dentists, and so it wasn't just like, oh, they're a barber who has a pair of forceps. Oh, they're this a guy who just loves teeth. They were actually like trained medical professionals, and there were before them trained medical professionals before that, like long lines of them. But there was no real way to tell the difference between someone who was just calling themselves a dentist because, hey, 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 I got this shiny new hammer, and someone who called themselves a dentist because, hey, I've been trained uh, for a long time by someone who knows what they're doing. So this emerging class of dentists battled with the image of uh, dentists as hucksters and quacks and started uh, organizing and founding schools. They need uh, sheriff badges. Uh, <laughs> with little teeth on them. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So they created a dental association, all sorts of stuff. So into all of this stepped one Edgar R.R. R. Parker. He graduated from the Philadelphia Dental College in 1882 with four other students. And this may be propaganda, but according to the current dean of the college, Dr. Amid Ismail, Parker was a terrible student and only graduated because he pleaded with his dean to pass him, which may be dental propaganda because, as we're going to find out, depending on who you ask about painless Parker, either he was a hero trying to help people with affordable dentistry, or he was a villain trying to cheat people out of money with expensive, needless dentistry. <laughs> yes. So the dean passed him, and Parker moved home to Canada, set up his practice in his hometown of St. Martin's in New Brunswick. So part of dentists trying to be considered respectable and non-quacks, non-hucksters, was that at the time, it was considered uncouth, unethical by dental practitioners to advertise your skills. The only acceptable way to build your practice was to join social clubs, get to know people, make public appearances when invited, all that sort of thing. Just introduce yourself around as a dentist and word was supposed to spread. But you weren't like supposed to put up a sign. It was, you know, that, was that was considered gauche and uh, huckstery. So just a quick question on that. Was that similar to other medical practices at the time or was it something specific to dentistry specific to dentistry interesting well you know because doctors you know were more respected or at the very least they you know had more societal weight behind them so a doctor could put up a sign but you know also at the time this was the late 1800s so it was also the time of the traveling medicine show which we'll get to in a bit and of uh, you know doctors going door to door making house calls that sort of thing but yeah this was mostly a, a dentist thing so Parker tried to take the accepted route. He tried to join social clubs, make public appearances, et cetera, et cetera. But after six weeks, he still hadn't had a single patient. And he was starting to worry just even about paying rent. But hope arrived one day in the form of a local sign painter Parker befriended who hated his dentures. The sign painter had dentures that pained him and he was constantly complaining about them. So Parker offered him new dentures in exchange for a sign for the practice. So this was, you know, out of desperation, like, I need, like, I'll try anything. I'll get a sign. I can't afford a sign. What'll I do? Well, I, I've got these dentures. <laughs> so the painter told Parker, dentures first, then the sign. And Parker, since he had no money, agreed. Painter loved them with so much that he made a huge sign with gold paint for Parker's practice. Oh, my God. Whoa. Yeah. Parker was actually embarrassed it was so large. So he instructed the painter to put it up at night so no one would see it. <laughs> <laughs> the next day... Parker expected, you know, oh, oh, people are going to see my sign. They're going to come. They're going to see, oh, it's so fancy. I'm going to have a line of patients. But he, when he came to his office, the sign wasn't even there. Was uh, it inside? No, no. He found it later that day, and it had been nailed to the train station's outhouse door, probably by one of the town's other dentists. Whoa. <laughs> 
We have an unspoken agreement about advertisements. We don't need to make it spoken now, do we, Parker? So Parker was embarrassed. So he moved his operations to the train station outhouse. (laughs) (laughs) Hello. Your teeth look pretty dirty. Free screening. knock them out for you? (laughs) You can use the toilet once I've looked at your teeth. And I'll sit on my lap. Here we go. (laughs) So he took the sign down. That's great. <laughs> so weird. Because <laughs> presumably, if he's sitting on his lap, I've just had this image that they're both facing in the same direction. So he's trying to work on his mouth, like without being able to see anything. Oh, I thought the guy was just pooping through his legs. Well, yeah, <laughs> I mean, both. I didn't think about that, but yeah, that's probably how that would work. Oh, yeah, yeah. Medicine used to be different. Listen, by the time you're done pushing out that corn, Brad. You're going to be down three teeth and up a whole lot less pain. You're losing a lot of weight today from turds and from teeth. <laughs> All right. So he... It'd probably be easier <laughs> if the patient straddled him. If he, yeah. Yeah. Because then he could see his teeth and there's If they, like, did the splits over his lap and opened their mouth while they peed through his legs. Yeah. Yeah. I see what you're saying. This will build a lot a of trust point. with your clients. See, I, w- I was picturing a lot of the vent- eye contact. <laughs> I was picturing the ventriloquist's dummy stance, you know, with just like legs dangling over the side. We all have yeah. different images. But yeah. then, how would he? How would he see in his mouth? No, how, would how would he poop? How would he poop? The ventriloquist shot. is sitting on the leg. Like- You'd have to wait until he was done to poop. No, Max. No, this is the ni- this is the nineteenth century. century. People, People are busy. <laughs> they are the kind of time. This it's is the frontier life. Painless Parker. He's not, not going to make you hold it. That's They're right. giving away land in Oregon mm. if you can make it out there. People are busy. <laughs> you got to get your teeth out of your mouth, to so they won't weigh you down on the way over. You got to get your teeth. <laughs> got to get your teeth out of your mouth and your and your poop out of your bum. It's the 19th century. Took you a few tries to say that sentence. <laughs> I was out of cat crawling on me. That was very Jesus, cat. So Parker took the sign off the outhouse door under cover of night and replaced it on his office. And in his first 90 days of practice, he finally attracted his first paying customer, a tourist who needed an extraction. He removed the tooth and charged him just $1, which in today's money is 21 bucks. Ooh. It's a good deal. Yeah. And although the patient only had 75 cents, Parker was happy to accept it. <laughs> He'd finally been paid for performing dentistry. So Parker started his practice intending to do it the dignified way, but soon found that dignity wouldn't pay the bills. And, you know, he liked being a dentist. He liked being a salesman. And he decided that he he would take the story of preventative dentistry to the people. So Parker left his office and went to street corners offering painless extractions for 50 cents with an aqueous solution of cocaine that he called hydrocaine. He promised that if the extraction hurt, he would pay his patients $5. Oh, my God. That's so much money. Mm -hmm. The first night that he set up this way, he extracted 12 teeth and didn't have to give anyone any money. He was surprised by this because after the seventh patient, he ran out of hydrocaine. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. But whether it was placebo effect or peer pressure or his skill or because he switched over to whiskey, uh, the same whiskey he kept in his office, the last five people had no complaints. Mm-hmm. 
So soon he was making money as a traveling dentist. He'd go to people's houses and borrow a rocking chair for his patients. <laughs> Keep them moving. Mm-hmm. And specialize in house calls. And he did pretty well for a while. But what about us masked individuals? How do we get dentists worked on? You have an apparatus that if you pull one pipe out of it, I'll be in constant pain. Well, he's a dentist, not a pipeist. <laughs> So, for a while, things were fine. He had regular patients, he built up a practice. But some years later, in 1897, he moved with his family to New York, where he struggled again, away from his carefully built reputation. This is where he met William Beebe, a former employee of P.T. Barnum. So, oh no! together, he and Beebe created the Parker Dental Circus, a traveling medicine show. No! And planned to advertise his skills and take them on the road. So, he opened his Brooklyn office... And had promoters scour the neighborhood. By 1900, he occupied half a floor of a Flatbush office building with eight assistants. And had just like adorned his building with all these signs. uh, With wonderful alliteration. Proclaimed by public, press and pulpit. Painless Parker is positively perfect. Pains and pangs positively prevented. (laughs) He proclaimed himself the greatest all-around dentist in this world or the next. And he had a huge sign saying, Painless Parker, I am positively it in painless dentistry, with the word it four stories tall. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so, uh, he's a showman. He's a showman. Oh, you, go, you ain't seen nothing yet. Ha-cha-cha-cha-cha. He's got the dancing girls. <laughs> yep. All dressed as giant teeth. <laughs> he would hire dancing girls and, like, human flies, like, to dance outside of Austin and, like, human, climb the building. Human flies? It was, well, it was a type of performer where they just climbed stuff, like, buildings, okay. In, okay. you know, without safety equipment. Good. That's a lot better than what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah they're all victims of terrible teleporter accidents. <laughs> they found a new career in show business. You gotta make the best with what you got. I can't operate on that mouth. That's just a fly mouth. <laughs> what I can give you is these dentures. <laughs> so soon business was starting to boom. And he commissioned a Paris trap, which was a horse-drawn flatbed with a dentist's chair for his shows, to, and kept a bucket of teeth close at hand to show off to people with all his extractions. <laughs> so it's like, the show's about to start, fellas. <laughs> yeah, he would he would come out in a top hat and white coat and stand atop his horse-drawn dental wagon with his teeth maracas as a brass band would play, <laughs> draw attention. <laughs> They, the bandit would attract large crowd, crowds, and then he would call up a plant from the audience and pretend to remove a tooth from them and then show how painless it was. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. And I then, think, wait, so he gave up on this whole I'm not a huckster thing, right? I mean, he was doing dental work, you know? It, just to, to kind of grease the wheels on I mean, a yeah, crowd. He was, he was like also preaching about the virtues of preventative dentistry and brushing your teeth and seeing your dentist regularly. Because back then, people like would like just pull their own teeth at home or they would take medicine to make tooth not hurt or you know they wouldn't like brush their teeth they wouldn't see their dentist regularly because they thought a dentist is just the person you go to to get a tooth pulled he, he like he didn't introduce the idea of cleanings but he helped to like popularize them really really heavily okay so after so after the plant had their tooth pulled like people would line up to get you know dental work done and if he had to pull a tooth he would tap his foot on the wagon so the brass band would play louder to cover people's screams as he pulled on <laughs> their teeth oh my God. Um, and Play put, it louder, Johnny. I hate this. <laughs> uh, 
So on, um, I thought you meant he was going to tap his foot to be like, oh, fellas, we got another one. Put another uh, tally on the board. <laughs> he made a new instrument called the Screamophone, which is just a man <laughs> screaming into a telephone or a megaphone. <laughs> telephone. To... <laughs> and a new invention that's sure to shock everyone, the telephone. <laughs> Let your family know it's going. Mm-hmm. So Not yeah, well, just go. So yeah, there'd be a brass band, contortionists, dancing women, everything. Just this whole this whole show and song and dance. You know, you have a nice day out and have a tooth pulled. But didn't he give them the like? Because he used that sort of uh, pain killing drug or hydrocaine. Yes, I mean, what's he, better than taking did he continue some to do and that? T- uh, yeah, he would. Okay. He would give them hydrocaine. But still, people would sometimes just start screaming. <laughs> sometimes you ran out, man. Oh, man. <laughs> Have some cocaine and go to the circus. Sounds like a fun time. <laughs> do you want to all do that today? No, I'm, I'm good. Okay. I'll wait like, till the circus is in I town. Don't, I don't okay. want to do drugs, but thank you. Or circuses. Okay, well, all right. <laughs> so, despite his ability as a dentist, um, I'll, so here's here's some, some controversy. So, the sources I looked, I read for, uh, at this point, either dismiss him as a quack who was trying to huck expensive dentistry, or they say he had undoubted pro- uh, prowess as a dentist and tried to keep his prices low. So despite his ability as a dentist, because of this, the whole song and dance, he was dismissed as a quack and a charlatan. Yeah. There was embroiled in a lot of court cases. Now, depending on whether this the article is, was pro or anti-Parker, I unfortunately was unable to lay hands on his uh, autobiography because uh, it has been out of print for a long-ass time, uh, or any papers. from Actually, there's a dental society in Boston that has a lot of papers on him, but you have to be a dentist in order to get in. Um, and I'm, I'm not what a dentist. What are they keeping from us? <laughs> Our teeth sentient? They're sentient, aren't they? Please, Mr. Dentist. <laughs> Please, Don't Mr. Dentist. <laughs> Don't take me out. <laughs> Mr. Dentist, can you brush my teeth's teeth? <laughs> so cute. Um... So he regularly fought in the court against uh, limits limits on his advertising, against uh, people claiming he wasn't legitimate or he wasn't unethical. But uh, he also fought against overcharging and monopolies on dental work. So some so this is where articles di- one of the articles diverge. Some say that Parker battled to keep his prices affordable and to avoid price monopolies from other dental uh, firms in the area, while others say that he. Uh, overcharged people for simple work and tried to hawk expensive, unnecessary dental work, and that's why he was sued. And because of these suits, Parker lost his dental license in several states, and he had to move to California. Where there ain't no teeth law. <laughs> uh, where they appreciate showmanship. Um, the glitz and glamour of mm-hmm. Hollywood. Yeah, so in- <laughs> I'm getting to that. So Parker moved to San Francisco around uh, 1912 following the sudden death of William Beebe, which I couldn't find details on how he died suddenly, but I choose to believe it was uh, circus vengeance, uh, where I, like a, uh, a human cannibal, a cannibal shot himself through mm. William Beebe. Sounds, sounds right. That sounds yeah. right. Yeah. That's why they call him a human cannibal. Just like a firing squad. <laughs> it's time to oppose several cannonball people aimed at him. Uh-huh. Just like, oh, okay, we haven't tried this before, but let's give it a shot. Boom. So bludgeoned to death by human cannonballs. That's, yeah, that's how I choose to believe William Beebe died, yes. Makes sense. Yeah. Parker considered an early retirement in San Francisco, but instead he bought up a shabby dentist's office in Los Angeles and soon started franchising and building more. 
the uh, the West Coast establishment also didn't like his ways. Um, he eventually set up the Institute of Dental Economics to train dentists and to fight his many legal battles with the California State Dental Association. Oh uh, he also eschewed a, an office full of costly rugs and pictures, as he called them, in favor of new technology and offered mouthwashes, toothpastes, and powders for brushing at home. Does that sound familiar to anybody? It does. Yeah. He was the first dentist to franchise and the first dentist to offer like, oh, you know, a free toothbrush to take home so he won't be so bad next time. That's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. So moved to San Francisco in 1912. In 1913, Parker bought a traveling circus and became the ringmaster where he continued pulling teeth. I was on his side for just a moment there. He's, a, he's quite the character. Oh, <laughs> On one notable day, he claimed to have extracted over 350 teeth, which he made into a necklace. Your arm must hurt. Yeah. 350 teeth. 350 teeth. Yeah. I imagine he's got one big Popeye arm. All right. Wait. Let me, uh, calculating. It's just eight people that he took all their teeth. Mm -hmm. Oh, actually, that's true. I was thinking, like, the time to pull. Yeah. Like, he could have just been pulling out, like, 10 from somebody. If he did every, every tooth in somebody's mouth, that's 32 teeth at a time. That's only, like, 10 people. So Noel just mimed pulling teeth, but it was definitely more of just hammering someone's mouth. It was. Yeah, he's it got a pair of pliers. I wouldn't They're coming out down. real easy, though. I think his only experience with pulling teeth oh, is from that old. Yeah, from that old. I thought you were smashing the bottom teeth. <laughs> <laughs> it's easier to pull out this way, you see. Ding, 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 ding. Um, Jackie's got a tooth necklace. I do, yeah. Oh, is it real? No. Well, you could, you could uh, for Halloween, you could go as Painless Parker. It's Noel's teeth. Oh, I see. He even, uh, so Noel gave it to me, but he even put in where he's got a filling. One of the fake teeth has a filling on it. <laughs> oh, that's sweet. It was actually, wait, I don't know that you know this part of the story of how it got on there. Mm-hmm. I was gluing my teeth to the string and uh, I had it on tinfoil because I didn't want to get glue on like a countertop or anything. Mm-hmm. And so some of the glue uh, on one of the teeth got caught on some tinfoil that I was using as a guard and pulled it up. And I was like, oh, it's a filling. <laughs> so it was an accidental, brilliant detail. Yeah, it's very nice. good. We'll show it to you after. Okay, fun. Yeah, I can just get it now. Okay, yeah. It's, it's... I mean, I can just finish this. Okay. Yeah. But Max's reaction. Ah, oh, the comedy Fine, gold. Get it out. Aw, tooth necklace. Those are realistic. Yeah. Shockingly realistic. One could almost say real. Are these real teeth? No. <laughs> okay. That's very sweet. So Parker expanded in California and across the western United States and had a few more adventures. He treated a hippo called Lucas, performed at a theme park in Long Beach, and uh, was, you know, take pictures taken of him with celebrities. In 1915, though, uh, he legally changed his first name to Painless to sidestep complaints of false advertising. Wow. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> what brilliant legal maneuvering and the fact that a judge signed off on that too. I hate and love that so much. <laughs> it's very good. Uh, I can't call myself Painless Parker because it's not actually always Painless. So I'm... Change? I changed my name. I'm still Painless Parker. So... Oh my God. And it worked too. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. He got to keep his signs up. He kept advertising himself as Painless Parker. Uh, just, at this point, I can't afford to replace all of my signs. It's easier <laughs> just to change my name. They're everywhere. Uh, yeah. 
Um, and eventually he stopped doing his sidewalk demonstrations because of concerns about bacteria and sterilizing his tools. And he switched out uh, his sidewalk demonstrations to screening educational films about oral care in his office. Uh, and then interested crowds were invited to come next door for a free checkup. See, this is a, That's good. such a weird barometer going like back and forth. <laughs> <laughs> He's a very controversial figure. Yeah. Yeah. So in 1948, a few years before Parker died, uh, Bob Hope played Peter or painless Potter uh, in uh, the movie Pale Face, which was a, a, a comedy Western loosely based on Parker's life. I pa- want to watch this movie. Parker loved the movie and told everyone to go see it and then to come see him for a f- and, like anyone who went to the premiere could come see him for a free free health care, free dental care. <laughs> Show your movie stub and I'll look at your stubs. <laughs> That's the painless Parker promise. Uh, he died in the 50s, but his biggest office on the corner of 7th and Main in Los Angeles is still in operation today as a dental practice with one of his original billboards at its top, a big mouth full of smiling teeth with the legend, Painless Parker. Wow. Huh, how kooky. Yeah. Yeah, I, I found out about uh, about Painless Parker because I was at Mice and uh, there was a comic book for sale there, which I bought, called The Almost True Adventures of Painless Parker, <laughs> which I think was a web comic for a while and is now a little published comic that I bought. I want to give credit to Zoe Peel for her comic, for her comic, The Adventures of Painless Parker, The Almost True Story of America's Most Eccentric Dentist, for telling me about this strange, wonderful man and uh, for making a real fun comic about him. Uh, That's really cool. Yeah, I really recommend it. Uh, in the first volume, he uh, pulls, he does a dental operation on a elephant. Yeah, so. Ooh, based on the hippo. Based on oh. the hippo, yeah. So how would you promote your dental practice? I would put sugar in everyone's food, like a lot of it. And then when they all inevitably got tooth decay, I would say, oh, come down to me. So you're in the bad guy yeah, barometer I'm, I'm, on, on this. I, oh, I, no, I think I'd be a worse person than Painless Parker. <laughs> So are we limiting ourselves to uh, 19th century no. dentists? No, no, no. You're a dentist even today. Come on. You can do 19th century if you want. I don't know. I feel like almost like those uh, pseudo-propagandistic uh, PSAs of like, you know what a bad tooth is? It's a spy for the for the bad guys. All right, come on down to patriotic knolls. <laughs> you call it a cavity? We call it a Nazi sympathizer. You can't fight against the Axis with a mouthful of holes. Yeah, I, I would do that. When you brush alone, you're brushing with Hitler. <laughs> I'd probably go a little more um, psychological trick style advertising. I'd probably, um, you know, connect with a radio station or a recording studio and put in subliminal advertisements for my services mm. in the song. Sometimes you want to go down to Jackie's dental practice where everybody knows that you have holes in your teeth. Come get them brushed. And you're always glad that you have money to pay for dental work. Or I'll do like some sort of collaboration. So, you know, how like, um, DJ Khaled always screams like, DJ Khaled in his songs. Yeah. Uh, just I do now. Dentist Jackie. <laughs> a little bunch of pop songs. Mm-hmm. And then people will just be, you know, singing their favorite song. We're dancing in the club, dancing in the club. Dance, dancing. Oh, yeah. I messed it up. Dancing in the club, dancing. Dentist Jackie. Oh, I should go see Wake the up dentist. in the morning feeling like seeing the dentist. <laughs> <laughs> I brush my teeth normally. <laughs> Look in the mirror with a smile, because I ain't coming to any dentist other than Dentist Jackie. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Some strategic partnerships. Yep. And I'd have to franchise, since the music industry is 
national oh, absolutely. and global. Absolutely. Yeah, so. absolutely. Let's take that same con- uh, spirit of thoughtful consideration into our next segment. What if they met? Wake up in the morning wondering if, what if they met? (laughs) What if these two people, what if they had met? I brush my teeth wondering if they had met. And then I think about what if they had met. That's good. I think think it's pretty good. It's pretty good. You missed your chance to say the DJ Jackie. I was waiting for that. I was waiting for that. Or dentist Jackie. So what if Painless Parker and John Batman had met? I think um, Painless Parker would take one look at his teeth and be like, you've been eating people, haven't you? <laughs> I can tell by the wear on your uh, third molar. Doesn't come from uh, from lamb or cattle. He'd lasso him with his tooth necklace and pull him in towards him, the teeth tightening around his body. to get, And he'd be like, this is what it feels like. This is what I've been doing to people. Oh, my God. <laughs> and he would just tie him to a dentist chair and go right in his mouth. Brush those human parts away. But then as uh, Painless Parker puts his hand in his mouth, he just chomps down. Oh, no. (laughs) Painless Parker pulls his stump out and just yells, a wordless yell. Play louder, Brassman. Play louder. Uh, or Batman would try and pay with, um, I don't know, two handkerchiefs, mm. one shirt, mm. no flour. I don't know. What's, what's no, flour. <laughs> no flour? No flour. It was a lot of flour oh, for the no. land, so I want to... Grain is bad for your teeth, too. So mm. Mm. Is it? Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Oh, is it sugar? Complex carbohydrate. You, don't, you, you need to brush your teeth after you eat grains, otherwise it sits there. Mm. Yeah. Or not brush your teeth, like drink some water. You can rot your teeth. Um... Yeah, so he pay, pays him with no flour, several shirts, and Painless Parker's like, this isn't money. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm not the young, idealistic man who would have taken just shirts when I started out. <laughs> I would have loved shirts then. No, today I need money. Money for the court cases I'm constantly embroiled in. They keep suing me, telling me you can't operate on a hippo with the same tools you use for a human, but I do what I want. Without cleaning those tools in between? <laughs> I'm Painless fucking Parker. <laughs> uh, speak up. I can't hear you with a mouthful of hand. <laughs> yeah, I think that sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. that's how we go down. Mm-hmm. Thanks so much for joining us this week on Anachronismo. I'm Max. I'm Jackie. I'm Noel. And I'm <laughs> And I'm painless fucking Parker. I, I see you have a mouthful of hand, Batman. I can catch that one. Don't just save some for me. <laughs> Make it into a slurry and pour it, pour it through my mouth. You really should get those pipes pulled. I'll pull them like I pulled a hippo's teeth, Bane. You think I won't? Oh, that will be my mouth's reckoning. Uh, I haven't brushed in many years. It's painful to take off the mask again. Well, we'll see you next time, then, here on Anachronismo! know who bane is <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's that's the end of the episode right there oh oh uh <laughs>
brought to you by Make Fun Network.